Hello, welcome to the For the Love of Film podcast. I'm the host, Scott David Chase. On this episode, I'm going to talk about the films Doolittle, The Rhythm Section, Depeche Mode, Spirits in the Forest, Parasite, Gretel and Hansel, and Birds of Prey, or The Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. Yeah, that's a mouthful. Um, so the first one, real, real simple, do little, or as I like to think of it, don't little. Um, it's a new <clears throat> Universal tr- trying to relaunch uh, the Doctor Do Little franchise, which I, I guess I was vaguely aware that there was a franchise uh, with Eddie Murphy. Um, I don't know how many they made. I saw when I was googling the images from this movie. Uh, uh, a DVD box art for Doolittle 3 with a young woman on the cover, not Eddie Murphy. His name was nowhere on it, so I don't know if he's in part two. I just know that the Doolittle films um, was kind of in the middle of Eddie Murphy's like big SAG period where he... Um, uh, and by SAG, I don't mean Screen Actors Guild. I just mean like a dip in quality... He did a lot of family films for a while, and, you know, I get it. Um, it's There's a built-in audience no matter what, and so it's it's money. And especially with Eddie Murphy having ten kids, I imagine it became very easy to do just stuff that was guaranteed income. But, uh, you know, on the heels of <clears throat> the Nutty Professor films that he did, uh, it sort of made sense, but uh, they were not great films. I remember seeing the first... Dr. Doolittle in the theater and saying, oh man, this is not funny. Um, it's nice to have him back doing some more relevant work. But anyway, uh, Universal decided to relaunch uh, Dr. Doolittle as a franchise, but this is set more in the time that the book was originally written <clears throat> in, um, you know, the, uh, the, the Hugh Lofting book, Dr. Doolittle. And it stars Robert Downey Jr. and Antonio Banderas, and then Michael Sheen, and a few other notable actors in the human roles, and then a bevy of uh, known actors in voicing the animals. Um, this movie was just such a waste. Um, uh, you know, I didn't go in expecting much. I was seeing it 96% to talk about it on this podcast. Um, I am a huge Robert Downey Jr. fan, so I was like, well, you know, I, I, I like him, and he was on uh, Joe Rogan's podcast recently promoting it and, you know, talking about doing different things post-Marvel, and what, and this was the first thing that he had done and wanted to try something different, and like I said, I like Robert Downey Jr., so I figured I would give it a shot, and yeah, this movie's a mess. Uh, the, it started off promising because the sort of prologue is animated and we, we're caught up to speed with why at the beginning of the film Dr. Doolittle is a shut-in with all his animals and doesn't want to deal with humans and I'm not going to get into the plot because it, it doesn't matter at all in this film. It's, you know, it's... The humor, the pacing, the jokes, the... The animal interactions all aim squarely at very young kids, and if you have young kids, they might 
enjoy it a little bit. There's just it, it's a big, bloated, lazy, just mess of a film. Um, most of the most of the voice cast, you know, does their best, and but I don't know. There's just nothing that ever that stood out special about this. You know, the CG is not terrible, but it's not great, and. You know, Robert Downey Jr.'s accent, it was tough to nail down what he was trying to do. Um, you know, he did a decent British accent when he did Chaplin 20-something years ago. So, uh, but this is a weird, like, it switches between Irish and Scottish and a bunch of other stuff. And, uh, I don't know, it's just most of his normal charm is completely missing from this. It's just, uh, I'd be hard-pressed to recommend this to anyone and you know when i on social media when i said that it was terrible people were like oh it was cute and i'm just i there's enough quality films out there for everyone uh you know regardless of age regardless of interest that i, I mean i recognize this film was certainly not made for me but um i've seen plenty of excellent films made for children so you don't need to you don't need to waste your time on mediocre films like this. Um, Doolittle, I would give three stars. Uh, just oh, really a waste of time all around. Uh, the, ne the next movie I saw was The Rhythm Section, which is based on the book, also called The R Rhythm Section, by Mark Burnell, um, who also wrote the screenplay for it. Uh, it's directed by Reed Moreno. Um, uh, stars Blake Lively, Jude Law, and Sterling K. Brown. And it's a... <sighs> It's a thriller. It's about a young woman who loses her family because a, a flight was a, a plane exploded. Her family was on the plane, and um, she falls into a life of uh, drug addiction. You know, obvious depression and uh, prostitution, and then she is sought out by uh, an investigative reporter who says he knows that the the plane was bombed it wasn't it wasn't an accident and then you know through through just sheer luck and happenstance she happens to come up you know get connected with an MI6 uh former MI6 operative who then trains her and she goes on a on a um mission to kill the people responsible for the bombing of her family and uh it's 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 not a great film the the writing you know the, the tension is decent for about half the film and then it just becomes a little bit ridiculous um it's it's too bad because Blake Lively gives a a really committed performance to a fairly lackluster film, um, the the parts with her and Jude Law in the middle are really good, especially because it does sort of uh, flip the expectations for the relationship. That you know, having seen these types of films before, you think you know where they're going to go as far as you know, like a romantic involvement, so on and so forth, and that doesn't happen. Um, but ultimately. The, the writing is pretty lazy. There's a, a whole bunch of plot holes that are just never tied up. And, um, you know, it, it also was nice to see uh, 
because um, usually with these uh, assassin type films, particularly female assassin films, um, it just there's a training montage, and then they became become someone who's very capable and um, ruthless and efficient, and that doesn't happen here, where um, she almost um, fails a bunch of times because of her inexperience and inability. So that was kind of a nice take on it, but the you know the the small little touches in this film weren't enough to save it from being a cliche. Um, I'd give the rhythm section a 5 out of 10. Uh, next one uh, I saw was Spirits in the Forest, a Depeche Mode film, which I'm a huge Depeche Mode fan. Uh, I, I did see this on Amazon Prime. It did play in some theaters, but I didn't. it didn't play anywhere around here. And honestly, I'm kind of glad I didn't see it in the theater. Not that I think it would have been bad by any means, but um, this is not a typical concert film. I mean, there is concert footage, uh, but if you were to go in uh, looking for, you know, to watch a concert of Depeche Mode, I think you might be a little frustrated or disappointed, only because he, there's not a single song that is that we get a full performance where there isn't talking over it, and that's that's totally okay for what this film is. So this film, it was filmed at the band's last two performances in Berlin, Germany, uh, on their uh, Global Spirit Tour. Um, and what they did was they did kind of a contest. They reached out to their fans and um, ultimately picked six of them to feature their stories uh not so much about them getting to the concert, although there is footage of each of these six people at the concert at various points, but it's really kind of their history with the band, uh, and, and through their history, you get a history of Depeche Mode um, from their beginnings in the early 80s up till now, and how they really cross across, you know, uh, global borders, across socioeconomic borders, um, religious and uh, political beliefs. And um, it was really interesting to to watch. Um, so it's much more a documentary about, um, in general, how, how music reaches people all over the world and specifically how Depeche Mode has, has reached people. So... In that moment, in that regard, rather, it was definitely a worthwhile view. And honestly, the concert footage, um, sort of an afterthought, and is kind of the the least interesting part of the film. Um, you know, Depeche Mode has released quite a few live um, DVDs through the years, and this certainly, as far as the live performances, ranks on some of the the, the less exciting of those, but, uh, the film in and of itself with the conversations with the fans really made it into something unique. Uh, so I, I would give spirits in the forest, uh, I'd give it a good, good six out of 10 stars. Uh, next thing I saw was parasite. Finally got to see it. Um, you know, it, it, I'm recording this the day before the Oscars, so we'll see if it wins. Um, it is, you know, a Korean film. It's it is up for best picture. It's the first uh, 
foreign language film to be nominated for Best Picture in, you know, many, many years. I think Life is Beautiful was the last one that was nominated. And before that, um, maybe The Last Emperor. Um, I had been wanting to see this for a long time and it didn't play anywhere near me. Um, luckily, once it got nominated for Best Picture, Regal Theaters does a thing where they bring all of the Best Picture nominees back to the theaters or in some cases to the theaters for the first time. It did play at Regal Theaters, just not at the Regal near me, uh, which always confuses me because I live in, well, I live in Rye, New Hampshire, but uh, I'm very, the Regal I go to is in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, which is one of the biggest cities in New Hampshire and certainly culturally one of the, one of the cities that I think would benefit the most from, from this type of film playing there. So, um, I knew very little about this film going into it, which I kept that way on purpose because I wanted to just be surprised by the film. But, you know, the trailer didn't give a whole lot away and it, it's tough to describe it because it's, it's a drama, thriller, um, a bit of a comedy. Um, some might even describe it a little as a horror film. I had, uh, I had been told by several people, oh yeah, it's definitely got horror elements. I don't really think that that's the case. Um, certainly more of a thriller. Uh, but that that's just part of it. It's... You know, I'd say that's maybe a 20% of the film is that. Um, but it, it really deals with uh, um, cl- the class system, uh, you know, specifically in South Korea, but also in, in the world in general. Um, and also how human nature, how we change based on... Um, you know, our resources and our opportunities. And, uh, it, you know, it's about a, a family, uh, a, a lower class family who the, their son in their, in his twenties comes to work, become in the employ of a wealthier family. And one by one, his other family members start to replace the, the other, uh, workers in the house unbeknownst to the wealthy family that, their family is all related. So, uh, and then they start to infiltrate the, the house in their lives. And yeah, it's, it was a very interesting film. Do I think it was the best picture of the year? Maybe not, but I did really enjoy it. I certainly haven't seen a film quite like this. And, uh, do I think it's deserving of the best picture nomination? Certainly, certainly over Joker and Irishman, which I've, you know, talked about, several times on here is not not appreciating either of those films uh at this point i ha- the only best picture nominee i haven't seen is ford versus ferrari which i thought i was going to get to this week but it didn't happen so i am not going to be able to see that film before the oscars themselves and uh, i'm okay with that um but yeah i i enjoyed parasite a lot i would give it an eight out of ten it, um certainly worth watching uh, next one I saw uh, is Gretel and Hansel, which is a re, re you know a retailing slash update of sorts of the grim fairy tale Hansel and Gretel, and th- the change in the title Gretel and Hansel is because it's certainly um, the focus is on Gretel's character. There's a bit of an age difference, 
between her and her brother, and more so than in the, from what I recall from the original fairy tale, she's supposed to be 16 in this, and Hansel's supposed to be 8. But so stars Sophia Lillis, who was in uh, uh, It, the new version of the Stephen King book, the two films that came out, and, uh, you know, Jessica Estain played her as an adult, but she was the, the child, the teenage version of it. Um, so far in, you know, being five weeks into 2020, this is the film that I've enjoyed the most. I, I, you know, I had sort of low expectations, but high hopes for this film going, you know, going into it, it was, um, you know, I, I've talked about it. Other film podcasts have talked about the fact that, uh, January and February tend to be a dumping ground for a lot of the studios, a lot of films that have had reshoots, um, re-edits, uh, films that are just plain, they know that are not going to work. Um, it tends to be, you know, November, December tends to be the Oscar grab, uh, films. And then, uh, the beginning of the year, because they're the furthest away from, the that year's Oscars uh, stuff that just doesn't work or they're not sure about uh, comes out and every once in a while something really interesting slips through the cracks or um, gets gets a chance taken on it and I definitely feel like Gretel and Hansel is one of those films uh, visually it was stunning and also uh, audibly um, the, the, a lot of really interesting stuff with the sound design of this film you know it is a the classic fairy tale about the two children wandering in the woods and come upon a witch's house. And, um, so we kind of know the story. It certainly delves deeper into issues of femininity and a culture's fear of it. Um, which I thought was an interesting thought. I felt like they could have explored it more, but they didn't. Uh, and it's, you know, it's a 90-minute film, which for me is a great, great length, particularly for something dark and moody like this. But, you know, it could have... It, I feel like they could have delved into that more and expanded upon it and would have made it more interesting. And I might have even liked this more. But, you know, visually, almost every frame looked like a painting. And I, I am planning on seeing it again in the theater just because it looked so beautiful and... There's so much detail packed into every scene that I know I missed a lot of stuff that I want to go back and, and check out again. And luckily with the with the Regal Pass that I have, I can do that and it's not going to cost me anything more. So, um, But I was surprised at just how much I thoroughly enjoyed this film. Um, I really liked it a lot. I would give Gretel and Hansel an, an 8 out of 10. And then finally I saw... Birds of Prey, uh, with the subtitle, uh, Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn, uh, which is the, is it the eighth, uh, uh, yeah, the eighth film in the DC Extended Universe, and it's a sort of sequel to Suicide Squad, although Suicide Squad 2 is in in the works, so I guess it's not a 
sequel. It, it's basically it's the second film that Margot Robbie has played Harley Quinn in it, and she's the only she's the only character from Suicide Squad that's in this. But it's not quite a Harley Quinn solo film because it features the Birds of Prey, which is a super heroine team, but. Um, it really doesn't become a team until the end of the film, and that's not really a spoiler. And uh, also, Harley Quinn's not part of it. Um, you know, she helps. You know, through the circumstances of the film, uh, some you know, uh, was it Black Canary and Huntress uh, join forces, but um, you know, Harley Quinn is not part of their group towards the end, and it's. You know, the, the the structure of this film reminds me a lot of a Guy Ritchie film. Um, you know, it does mess with the timeline a little bit. Um, not, not too much, but, you know, we get to see different scenes from different angles. And um, as much as Suicide Squad did not work uh, and was... It's funny because this is R-rated and Suicide Squad was PG-13 and this is... Uh, this is just a lot more fun and uh, it really works better with the sort of manic energy that Margot Robbie brings to the character. And it's, it's nice to see that her performance in Suicide Squad was not a one-off, not a fluke that um, this is really a character she has control over. And as much as people have argued that this is different than how the character was in the comics and then the animated series. Um, it's certainly Margot Robbie's character on film and um, definitely less one-dimensional than than in Suicide Squad. We don't see the Joker at all in this film, which is fine. I mean, it sort of works out well because Jared Leto is no longer going to be playing the Joker in the DC Extended Universe, and I don't think they've quite figured out what they're going to do with that, because it's also not supposed to be Joaquin Phoenix's Joker. So, the fact that he's alluded to, and you know, there's there's drawings of him, but no actual footage of him, kind of works in this film's favor. Um, Mary Elizabeth Winstead plays Huntress. She's not in it enough, but um, she's good in the parts that she's in. I really enjoy her, and um, what's her name? Journey Smollett Bell, who plays Black Canary, uh, has probably the second biggest role behind Harley Quinn, and she does a great job. I, I had seen her in some other stuff. She was on the show Friday Night Lights for the last two seasons, but I didn't recognize her until maybe the last twenty minutes of the movie, and then I had, or, or I thought I recognized her, and then. When I looked her up on Wikipedia later, I was confirmed that that was who that was. And um, Rosie Perez, it was nice to see her doing something um, kind of outside of her usual her usual um, roles, particularly in the last decade or so. And then Ewan McGregor, who uh, you know, I said I I'm always a little worried when he does an American accent, was fine in this. Um, I think a little bit underused. The character wasn't quite developed that that great either. But and then uh, Chris Messina was kind of kind of menacing, and this is his henchman. And 
yeah, it was a you know it was a fun comic book movie. Not great, but um, much better than the last few DC films. I mean, not as good as Wonder Woman, still, but uh, still a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. I, I'd give uh, Birds of Prey a seven out of ten. So those are the films that I saw in the last week or so. Um, gonna, like I said, I'm going to be watching the Oscars tomorrow, and Greg and Bob and I will be talking about the winners, and we'll see who whose predictions were closest, who won in that. So thank you, as always, for listening. Go see some movies. Bye.